Hey guys, Paul Riddick here. Welcome back to another edition of the Baseball Dad Show. Have you ever seen a coach become a problem coach? Have you ever seen uh, maybe someone who was a good father and a good man uh, become a coach and start to lose it? Or is your son playing for a coach whose communication style is antiquated? Um, we're going to talk about all that more. And we're going to talk about also how to handle what we would deem as quote-unquote problem coaches on this episode. So uh, before we do that, head on over to BaseballDadShow.com. Lots of cool stuff over there for you. We have our new course, which is called The Guardian. It's the first course ever uh, specifically for baseball dads, helping us raise great men, uh, husbands, fathers, and leaders of tomorrow as we navigate this new and ever-changing game of baseball. There's also a scorecard there where you can see um, how your son can fare at the next level and if he's ready to play at the next level. A cut-and-paste dialogue that you can use to help uh, to ask your son's coach for more playing time without looking like one of those dads. And we're actually going to do some dialoguing today that can be helpful with problem coaches. And also, too, um, there's a link to our Baseball Dads discussion group on Facebook, which is an awesome group. A couple thousand dads in there talking about everything from baseball, being a baseball dad, being a baseball dad slash coach, and just being a dad in general. So great conversation. You can link to everything at Baseball Dad Show. Dot com. All right, so on with the show. Problem coaches. Um, it's a tough issue. Um, it is certainly something that is becoming a greater issue um, as the game expands and as there's <clears throat> more opportunity for people just to kind of start coaching. What we find is a lot of coaches um, that are in positions far beyond their experience. And so just to give you a little bit of background, when I started coaching, um, I started off as a volunteer, and the first oh, four years or so of my career, no, first, well, it depends on how you count. <laughs> the first, so the first, I never, I didn't get paid to be a coach for the first six years. Um, the last two years, I worked part-time at a school where, you know, like I was, like I worked the football games and stuff like that. So, longer story, <clears throat> but um my first two, two coaching jobs were for two legendary coaches in New Jersey, a guy named Jack Burns, a guy named Ray Korn. Um, I had a lot of time to be on the sidelines, to be in the first base coaching box, to be at practice and, <clears throat> excuse me, be educated and mentored by these guys who were coaching masters. And so by the time I got to my first team and I had moved up in levels of coaching, um, I, had a, I had a fairly um, extensive education on what it was to coach. The average coach today who enters into a travel ball tournament team, they're a dad who usually came maybe from rec league or little league or whatever and now is thrust into this role or they're working for one of these academies and you know, there's so many teams and so many opportunities that the level of coaching just has to drop. It just has to drop. There's no two ways about it. So the X's and O's in baseball are the X's and O's of baseball. And there's certainly people who are better at teaching them than others. There are certain people who are better, uh, have a better understanding of them than others. But coaching comes down to, like, that, that knowledge of baseball X's and O's, that is kind of just is what it is, right? You, you know it um, or you don't know it or you have a good understanding or not a good understanding, right? It's kind of they are what they are. But no matter how well, I have seen people who don't, don't, the 
let me start this over. <laughs> I have seen coaches who did not have a great grasp of fundamentals, but they were great motivators, great communicators, and they were able to get the team to work around a common goal, and they won games, despite maybe a coach who was not the greatest technician. And I've seen I've seen teams that, with coaches that knew every single nuance and idiosyncrasy of baseball play and 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 fundamentals and skills and could never coach a winning team. So what happens is a lot of times when coaches are thrust into these positions, all of a sudden you get a guy who's most of these guys are just regular guys, right? And here's all the things that are involved in it. Um, they usually have a horse in the race, which means their kid is probably on the team. Okay. Um, there's probably a social, um, uh, a social structure around the team, which probably the team is probably local. They probably know some of the parents. There's probably some social interaction. So that's weird, right? I never coached a team where I was friends with any of the parents I coached. That's a little weird. Um, they probably know enough about the game of baseball to get themselves the job. Probably not enough to really be an adequate coach. And I promise you that their communication skills and their mental emotional intelligence on being able to handle different players, different situations, situations combined with the baseball skills, the social element of the parents, their newness to coaching, and the fact they got a horse in the race. They're not prepared for all that. So what happens is we get situations where it gets hot. Um, emotions tend to ride, uh, or tend to ride high. Um, situations can get out of control. People can overreact. There's another element that's now a coach has to face that I never had to face. Um, players now pay to play. I never coached a player that paid to be on the team other than like whatever the $45, you know, American Legion thing was, right? It was either um, high school professional um, of where I coached. So I never coached a player that paid to play. So now all of a sudden, um, there's another added level of pressure that kids are paying to play. So if it were Little League and a coach gets handed 12 kids every year, kind of bad news bears situation, um, you know, you play out the season, the coach does the best he can, he's coaching the kids, right? Even in high school, you know, before the dawn of recruiting, you know, you kind of got what you got. Some schools had a bigger pool to, to pull from, some didn't. And so teams would go in ebbs and flows. But in this day and age, now you're putting teams together, there's super teams being put together. There's an, there's an added pressure on the coach to win, because not only is there time invested, but there's finances invested. So you couple all those things together and you put them on the average guy, the average dad slash coach, or the average 20-something baseball coach, and you're going to have problems. So what happens when this becomes a problem for you, right? And there's, you know, there's old, there's old, you know, thought that says, um, you know, it's, it's a recession when your neighbor loses his job. It's a depression when you lose your job, right? So it usually only becomes a problem in two ways, that it becomes a problem for your son <clears throat> or it becomes a systemic problem for the team that there's enough bad things going on that something has to be done about it. So what do you do? Let's say, I, I, insert whatever situation. You don't like the way your the coach responded to your son and this has become more than just like a, tough love scenario, right? So if your son comes off the field and he flings the helmet and the coach yells at him, well, your son shouldn't fling the helmet, right? So a coach is within his boundaries of a coach is to yell at a kid if it's behavioral, right? If there's behavior that's outside of the values of the team. 
But let's say it gets to be not, where maybe he's riding your son too hard or, look, I'll tell you the truth. There are some coaches that just can kind of have like, I got a thing, you know, about that kid. And, you know, and, and you know, he pushes my buttons. I push his buttons. I don't like the way he interacts with the team. It happens. It, it absolutely happens. So what happens if it, if it does, if there's an incident where your son maybe is yelled at too much or there's a specific incident where maybe the coach crosses a line in disciplining or correcting or the coach loses his cool or he's continually losing his cool? What do you do? So here's the catch-22 that you're in. If you say something, you give that dad, I mean, you give that coach an opportunity to make an example out of you. So that's why we have the cut and paste emails on how to ask your coach for more playing time because most dads approach playing time the wrong way. They approach playing time with, my son should play more and I'm paying for this team and he's practicing, he works hard and he's better than that other kid, he should play more. Well, you just gave that coach an opportunity to make an example out of you to every other parent. Don't approach me that way and don't tell me how to run my team. If you use our cut and paste emails, you will not have that problem. You will not have that problem. You will have a great interaction with the coach and you will give your son the best opportunity to earn more playing time, guaranteed. So this goes along those lines. So you don't want to be put in a situation where you're giving the coach an opportunity to make an example out of you. You don't want to be um, one of those dads and you don't want to take it out on your son, which is another thing too, right? If you feel like if you speak up, it might hurt your son, that's kind of another issue, right? You know, that's, that's another, that's a bigger, deeper issue, maybe for another podcast. Um, but with all of those things, it has gotten to a level where maybe it is affecting your son and maybe your son doesn't want to continue to play or doesn't have the enthusiasm or wants to switch teams, whatever. So you have to approach the coach. So how do you do that? So there's a couple rules of what not to do. Okay, so here's a couple of rules of how not to approach the coach. Number one, do not approach the coach on the field, right? After practice, during a game, during practice, before a game, right after a game. Do not approach the coach when he is around his team or on the field. Do not do that. Do not approach the quote the coach when there's other people around. So the parking lot, that counts too. Do not approach the coach that way. Do not approach the coach. Um, well, let me back up. So those are the two ways to have direct approach to the coach. And there's a couple reasons for that. Is number one, it, it, you're not going to get the coach in a great state of mind. Okay. He's just coaching a game, coaching a practice, preparing for a game, whatever. He's not going to have a, a well thought out, rational conversation with you about the situation. He's going to get defensive. He's going to get pissed off that you're interrupting him and disturbing him. And that's just the way it's going to go. That's how I would react if somebody came up to me right before a game. Um, now, in my 20s, I would have reacted. I would have been pissed off. Later on in life, I probably would have said, you know what? That's probably a conversation we could have another time. Um, and so just don't do that. Um, so how do you do your approach? Him? So I would make the initial approach via email. Um, I would not make the initial approach in any social media form whatsoever. Facebook Messenger, Instagram message, Facebook post in a group about the team. No, I would make it a private interaction with you and email is the best way to keep the interaction private. Having said that, once you make the connection in email, you want to get it off email and off any kind of platform, digital platform, and 
ideally a personal meeting, but I know that can sometimes be tough, at the least a telephone conversation. You do not want to have this discussion um, over email, okay? So um, <clears throat> here's what I would suggest. I would suggest uh, that you email the coach and say, coach, um, I need some help. Um, I have a few things that I could use some advice on, and I'd love to set up a time for us to talk. That's it. Don't say anything else. Don't say, I'm upset about the way it went with Johnny on the field the other day. Don't say, uh, the way you handled that situation was wrong, and we got to get to the bottom of this. No, 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 no. Say, Coach, I need your help. I, I need your advice on something, and I'd love to set up a time to talk. Great. If he can meet you for coffee, meet for coffee, okay? And the reason why I would really push as much as you can to meeting for coffee or meeting for lunch is that... <clears throat> Meeting on the phone is good, but meeting on the phone, people, again, will argue more on the phone than they will in person. And they may say things, they might go to a level, it's easier to get to a level, um, you know, an uncivil level over the phone than it is in person. So ideally in person. Um, here's what you say. So let's say um, coach sits down with you for coffee or you get him on the phone. The first thing you say is, hey, coach, first of all, before we start here, I just got to thank you for the time that you've put in for the team. And I know it's, it's like a huge undertaking to coach a team. And I, I just, I know that it's probably a lot harder than it looks from the sidelines. I know there's a lot of stuff that goes on away from the field and, and in setup and organization and, and just getting the team onto the field. So I just, I, we appreciate the time that you are putting in. Now, <clears throat> here's why you say that is, um, you want to have a connection. If you're going to have a meaningful dialogue with anyone, it starts with being in connection. And uh, you probably do respect his time, right? So in any situation, even if it's dealing with your son, a good place to start is what do I respect about this person? I may dislike everything else. I may hate the way he handles the team, he coaches the team, he yells at the kids. I may hate all of that. But you can respect time, right? Time is time. So it's a very neutral way to get into the, get into the mindset of, you know, I do respect the guy is, is putting in the hours and the time. It's not easy. Start with a position of respect. Believe me, it's, it, it, will, it will help a long way. After that, <clears throat> um, let's say you're talking about a specific situation. Say, Coach, look, I, I see like the situation on the field with Johnny. It got, it got um, you know, it was, it was a passionate situation everyone seemed to get really emotional about it i would love to get some insight on on kind of what you were thinking during that time and and do it in a very sincere way you have to take your emotions of the situation out right and here's why we're doing this um on my desk i keep my grandmother's glasses when i make speeches i carry my grandmother's glasses every now i might get emotional now I, I carry them everywhere i go if i had doing something important because um I, my grandmother, the last few years of her life, she, she, she couldn't use her, her right leg. So she would leave these everywhere. And I lived with her at the time. And I used to have to retrieve these glasses for her probably 30 times a day. That's an exaggeration, but a lot. And I keep these with me because it reminds me of her. And, and also that it reminds me that everybody looks through the world through a different lens. And if we want to be understood, we must first seek to understand prayer of St. Francis. Right? So if you want to bring about a resolution, step one, find something you can respect about the person. Step two, 
get a good insight on their lens. How do they see the world? <clears throat> okay. When you ask him for insight on the situation, you're asking him how he sees it, then shut up. Don't say anything. Let him talk. Don't interrupt. Don't, don't just let him talk. Give him a lot of like, oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. Mm, oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Just let him talk. Let him talk. Let him finish. Um, when he's done finishing, right, he'll probably defend his position, right? <clears throat> what he may do and what usually happens is once they kind of replay the situation in a calm manner with someone who has approached them in a very open and positive way, they might start to see that maybe they overreacted. Everybody's human, right? Here's what, after, after he's done talking, here's what you say. Coach, I, I totally respect your passion for this situation. I know the games get, get hot and, and believe me, I think the pressure on you, I, I can't imagine what it must be. We got parents who are paying, you've got, you know, practices to run. Get, I get it. The pressure on you, um, is pretty hard. It's pretty, is really mounted. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely understand as, as I do too, as we all do in situations, we can lose it. Um, can I ask you coach, are you open to some suggestions on how, I can work with Johnny to improve this so that we don't end up here or that we improve the situation going forward, which is, I wouldn't say we don't end up here. Take that out. I would say, are you open to some ways that we can, that I can work with Johnny so that we can um, improve this situation going forward? <clears throat> That's a very reasonable request. Now, remember, that is a very reasonable request from someone who, who showed respect towards a person, took the time to get their view of the world listened to them and then now and then commented on uh, the pressure that they're under and then and then asked them you didn't ask them for a solution you say are you open to it everyone's open to it right um and then i would say look you know my son responds best when he's approached like this blah 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 now you might run into some roadblock here because of the age of the coach and the generation that he's coaching so you know, our generation, we responded to, you know, get, get your butt in gear, you know, move, you know, don't make mistakes or you screwed up, right. Or work harder. You're being a wussy out there, all these kind of things, right. We responded to that kind of tough love. Um, these, this generation does not. And a good coach of this generation, if you are coaching in this generation with these kids coming up, you're going to have to, if you want to succeed, you are going to have to learn how to coach and I'm uh, assuming communicate with each one of these players individually. It's why the, one of the reasons why we encourage coaches to have a five, six, seven on every player. Um, if you're not familiar with five, six, seven, or if you're a new listener to the podcast, you can go back and you can see what our five, six, seven is. <clears throat> um, but you tell them, like, look, my son responds best when he is, you know, kind of um, given some clear instructions or, or wherever your son responds best, right? After you explain that to him, then you would say, so, so going forward, is this a way that you feel we could work together on this? Going forward, is this a way that you feel we can work together on this? Again, going forward, is this a way that you feel we can work together on this? These are very reasonable requests. Any normal, rational person, which I believe most, even, even the most insane coaches are, if you put them in a situation and a frame of a conversation like this, can kind of see the bigger picture. And what you want to do is you don't want to correct the situation. 
right? Because the situation probably won't just correct, but you can improve upon the situation, start moving in the right direction, let the coach have some time to adjust as well. Um, this is a way to approach a coach. Most people approach a coach with, um, uh, they approach him on the field, he goes, how could you yell at my kid that way? Or I can't believe you yelled at a kid this way. Or they call up the coach and they start barking at him about how, what he should do, what he shouldn't do, what, how he should be talking to his kid, how he should be coaching, X, Y, and all these other things, right? And that's why these things explode and get out of control. So I guarantee you, if you do this this way, <clears throat> this coach will have, first of all, he'll know that he can talk to you like a sane person. Because, look, let's face it too. There's plenty of bad parents out there. Plenty of bad parents out there. So if this were a coaching podcast, we might be talking about how to handle crazy parents. Because I've got ways of doing that too, right? And so um, this is this you know he is used to the flack that he gets being kind of from crazy parents. So if you keep this in dialogue, he's gonna know he's gonna have a newfound respect for you. He's gonna know that you are a sane person. You can have an honest dialogue. You have pointed out things that you respect about him, the involvement of his time, the task, and the level of commitment to his job, the things that are on his to do list, and the and the pressure that he's under. You might be the first person who ever acknowledged those things. That in and of itself is an olive branch that you can extend to that coach. So again, first thing is never have the conversation on the field, before a game, during a game, after a game, practice, before, during, after practice. Um, don't have it around any other parents, not in the parking lot. I would, have it no, I would not have the conversation anywhere um, except don't have it on social media. Don't make a comment. Don't engage in any of that crap. Email the guy. Say, look, hey. I need your help. I'd love to get your advice on something. Could we meet for coffee? If you can't move for coffee, have, have a telephone call. First thing you do, find the things you respect about him. Even if you hate him, there are things you respect about him. Maybe he's a good dad. Maybe he's, uh, you know, I don't know, wears his uniform great. Whatever it is, right? <laughs> Whatever it is, you can find something that you respect about him. Um, get his view of the world through his lenses. Look through his lenses and view of the world. Um, and then... Uh, understand and compliment again the things and try to try to really acknowledge that you see what he's up against ask him if he's open to suggestions on improving the situation explain how you think your son would respond best and then ask him is he open to going forward um, using this as a way to improve the situation if at the end of that you have a guy who's still a jerk well then he's a jerk Sorry, there's, when you approach it in this way, in a very reasonable, sane, um, you know, conversation, a meaningful conversation, and he's still a jerk, well, then he's just a jerk. Some people are just jerks, sorry to say. Um, so um, that kind of wraps this up. Again, this is something I love coaching dads through. I, I, I love doing this because um, this is like, I see a lot of ways that I can make a difference in the game. And there's a lot of, like, I could teach a sinker, I could teach a cutter, I could teach a throw harder and hit better, I could teach you to do all those things. But, yeah, sometimes it's like these things that make such a big difference and a bigger difference in some ways than all of those X's and O's and skills and mechanics of the game. So, all right, guys, head on over to BaseballDadShow.com. All the things we talked about and linked to um, are there, or you can link to there, excuse me. And thank you so much for listening. Again, it means the world to me. Love you guys, and um, I'll see you back here next week. 
Hey, it's Paul Reddick. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. I wanted to let you know I have a new book out specifically for baseball dads, and I would love for you to check it out. You can go to baseballdadsbook.com. All the information is there and a pretty good discount for our podcast listeners. So again, it's baseballdadsbook.com. Thanks.